I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. And Feeding Curiosity is all about having conversations and figuring out how people are orienting themselves in their lives. What are the things they think about, struggles are going through, and just the processes they use to go through and navigate the world, basically. And in the process, you guys all get to listen in and hopefully take away something along for the ride. Um, today's guest is Nicholas Bugle. He is been in my knowledge circles for a while it's always been a friend of mine but never really had a chance to sit down in a one-on-one conversation such as the podcast and this has been an interesting one because Nick is going through a phase of his life right now where he's trying to figure out what he wants to kind of channel his energy into and so by doing that he's putting himself into situations where he's not inherently comfortable with all the time and he's always trying to expand his boundaries um In essence, he's turning into a very introspective person and challenging himself to be put in places where uh, someone such as himself in his early 20s, most people would look at you and like, why are you here? You know, the the, um, outlier in the room, so to speak. And in this conversation, we really cover many different things. And the, as the titles of this episode says, is it's finding your own path or finding your path in life. And I, I could have said like finding your passion or something like that, but I decided not to go with that because... It's not about passion in this sense, because he's just trying to do a whole bunch of different things and seeing which one sticks or which one resonates with him the most. It's a open-ended exploration, so to speak. Um, and I think there's a lot of takeaways in this episode from like the working world or you know, how to orient yourself in your job or anything like that. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nick Bugle. And we were talking for probably like the last 20 minutes since we were recording, and I think, as always, I like to start with just a little bio of yourself. Like, mm-hmm. how do you self-describe yourself with what you do or like your interests? Um, I am professionally a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work in office supplies. Uh, it's not... <laughs> it's not a blast, but it's it's a really interesting mm-hmm. field to grow in and make uh, mundane stuff look interesting. Right. Um, and interest-wise, um, I don't really have any concre- concrete interests in life right now. I'm kind of at a turn point. Yeah, you kind of are a little crossroads. Like, we were talking yeah. last week and stuff with kind of like where you want to take your life direction-wise, yeah, kind of I've, going forward. I've kind of abandoned the punk rock train for, you know, less apathetic and self-loathing and self-deprecating <laughs> music. Um, I've started trying to expose myself to more positive content, and it's mm-hmm. truly had, like, a really big impact on my mood. Oh, um, really? But, yeah, it really yeah. has. Yeah, because I knew you've always kind of been been in, big into music and stuff, but I wasn't, yeah. like, aware of, like, how much it kind of affected, yeah. you know, your personal interests or tastes on it. Yeah, I certainly identified <laughs> with obscurity, too. Yeah, um, yeah, that's for sure. 
You always have your own unique music taste, and we could try talking about music and that oh, kind of yeah. stuff for all for like hours and hours. I could talk about that for forever. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I've again just kind of been on the hunt now for um, just different, just stuff I haven't done. Stuff yeah. that, you know, I wake up every day and you kind of think like, all right, you have this like codependent reputation essentially mm-hmm. is like, you know, the way people view you. And I've had a lot of people be like, oh, that's not something I assume, I assume that you would do. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten that reaction from a lot of people about certain things. Um, whether it's like music that would come up on my iPod in the car or an activity right. I said I was coming from. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's not for <laughs> anyone but myself to kind of gauge. Yeah. And so, uh, I've really taken that into account and just started doing different stuff that kind of, it doesn't necessarily even have to pique my interest. It's just something I haven't done before. Yeah. It's like, this is new, so I'm going to try it. Yeah. Um, I respect the hell out of that. <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of stemmed from the idea of, you know, like when I, I was like pretty coming from like community college, I was like, okay, I have a lot of like really good things going on in my life and some people have faced way more adversity than I have and mm-hmm. I feel as though because I have so few distractions that I should dedicate myself to passions and so yeah. what am I passionate about and then I went vegetarian for like four years mm-hmm. you know and that was like a super small project that was just like not even a project just like something yeah slightly... I mean you really committed to that too like yeah you'd still then... go out with us to the bars and everything like that you're like nope can't eat that sorry like or like you can't eat cheese because <laughs> you were like vegan too for a little while yeah, along was... with the vegetarian mm-hmm. yeah so, you know, like that kind of thing. But then, you know, as you get older, you kind of realize that not everything is so black and white. And so all these, <laughs> all these like, you know, passions and investments and political ideas that I had found to be true, I started reassessing and realized, you know, I might not, like a 20 year old might not know as much as they think they do. Right. Um, <laughs> as funny as it seems now, right? Yeah. You're no. like 24 now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no. So I'm just, again, like I'm out there trying to learn a lot of different stuff, and um, I think it's one of those things, like, you know, once I abandoned that idea that I, like, have to have these sentiments, and especially being a little more judgmental of other people's ideas, yeah, um, and a little quick to attack in certain scenarios, I started realizing that, like, especially through relationships, whether it be, like, close friendships or romantic relationships, Mm -hmm. you walk away with a different understanding of something you potentially never knew. Right. Um, And... It, it could really be anything, whether it's a movie you never thought you'd watch or mm-hmm. music you never thought you'd listen to, but it's so different to experience it on your own and hear something on the radio, for instance, if we just apply this to music, you mm-hmm. hear something on the radio and you're just like, wow, I didn't enjoy that song. <laughs> or you like don't even listen to the whole thing because you right. haven't given it a chance. But then you might listen to that song with someone who has an attachment to it, who has assessed mm-hmm. it, and has their own metaphors and ideas, and all of a sudden you have this new romanticism to attach to that, and yeah. a new way to explore it, and a new way, again, to appreciate it. Yeah. And so I've been exposed to that with a lot of passionate people, and, you know, coming from that place of having my own interests and finding my interests to be more interesting than other people's stuff in the past, <laughs> um, it really, you know, I realized that, like, there's so much stuff I don't know, and it's so limiting to mm-hmm. just have this idea that, like, okay, I like these things, and everything else sucks. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah. it's very close-minded, right? It is. It's incredibly <laughs> close-minded. Um, so, yeah, there's just, again, like, trying to do stuff and experience it in my own right, you know, instead of kind of, like, finding people to be my tour guide, which is what I've done in the past quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, you like know, living through someone else, kind of? Essentially, yeah. You know, like, 
Um, especially like dating wise, I've always dated people I admire and a lot comes out of those relationships and it's obviously mm-hmm. not just like, okay, I appreciate this about you and that's why we're dating, but there's always like some interesting facet that I have no exposure to previously that yeah. is a, a really big driving force for me. That's like really interesting. Um, and I think for lack of a better term, I'm just learning to date myself and <laughs> take myself on dates and not have to be so codependent in these yeah. experiences, you know? Like, I think it's there was a lot of comfort in having those tour guides, and now I'm mm-hmm. plunging into things like hot yoga and plunging into oh, things cool. like poetry groups and plunging into, like, just different experiences, like political talks and with, like, a bunch of, like, 50- to 60-year-olds in rooms that I never thought I'd be in. That's you know? awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just different, and it's cool to do different stuff. Yeah, I mean... It's kind of cool to hear that, like, that you're just kind of going out in the world and doing stuff, because it's, you know, it's really similar to what this podcast has done for me, where I'm, like, able to meet people and, like, have conversations with people, even though, you know, half of it is, like, close friends like you and, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone else we know, right? And the, to just hear the stories that you're, like, able to draw connections of things deeper on different levels because you're able to experience different things from other perspectives, that's, like, what podcasting has done for me. You know, you know, and then from there, it's it's then translated for me to try and do those things because there's so much knowledge trapped in people's perspective that doesn't get articulated well enough, right? Because yeah. it gets hidden behind, you know, knee jerk reactions or you know, strong arm political views, whatever, yeah. you know, whatever it winds up being that people over over like dieting is, is a good one too, right? Yeah, where people just kind of hear one thing and they immediately bucket you, you know? <laughs> no, yeah. Because I, I bet you had to deal with that a lot when you were, like, vegan and things like that. I, I don't know if you want to explain any of the, um, the rationale for why you chose to do that or, or like, why you had the change of heart since then. <laughs> uh, change of heart was more um, health-wise a little bit, and I think stress-wise as well. I had done it for a while, and it was a cinch. It was, like, no complication to mm-hmm. pursuing that type of dietary thing. Um, super easy change. A lot of people are always like, oh, I could never do that, and, like... I also now have, like, tons of friends who shat on me for that or were like, this is so complicated, and now a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I'm vegetarian now, and I'm like, oh, I'm not anymore. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it was it was a little more just, you know, I had always been surrounded by people that were vegetarian. It was something I looked up to, and for once I was like, why not just do something I look up to? Um, but stopping the vegetarian stuff, it was kind of dumb. I was at a party, and there was, like, no other food but hot dogs, and so I just, my, the first thing I ate, the first <laughs> meat in four years, was a hot dog, which was followed up by White Castle, so that Ma'am. was a grand introduction <laughs> back to meat, um, but... You're introduced to the best of the best. Yeah, no, um, but there's more to it, you right, know, there was like some health issues, I wasn't, in terms of dealing with stress, I was a stress eater, okay. and stress eating as a vegetarian can actually be a lot harder on the body, depending on what you're taking in, Really, like, you know, if you're eating... Yeah, and I don't, like, I'm not going to get super into that, but, like, yeah, no, it was uh, a little bit health-wise stuff, and I was having some health issues gotcha. with that in the long run, um, and so it was just kind of, like, a little bit easier, and it has been um, nice to go out to restaurants and not either pay too much for salad greens or, right. you know, have nothing on the menu for me. It's right. been nice with that. Yeah, where you're just kind of always, that's one of the things I always say to people is, like, whenever you pick a diet, you got to be really conscious about, like, you know, just being able to live with it. Yeah. Because if you're picking a diet, especially one that's like vegetarian or vegan, on the more extreme end of the spectrum, is you're, you're limiting, you know, probably somewhere around 70% of your food choices then, you know, if you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you kind of have to live with that. And and, <clears throat> and those people who do that, I, I, I don't say it's not possible, but, you know, 
Yeah. You still gotta be able to enjoy <clears throat> food every once in yeah. a while. <laughs> I can't even recall what walked us down the vegetarian stuff. Um, I just brought it up as yeah, just, no. it's like change of heart. Because like a lot of people get married to the ideas and they use mm-hmm. it as their idealism. You know, yeah. they put it in their like bio, right? You know, vegan or food warrior yeah. or whatever they call it. Oh, that's that. right. Yeah. So you would mention like how that could potentially put me like in a box. You yeah, know? buckets. Someone's like, basically. okay, yeah. Um, I do think that was a bigger thing for me. Was like you know, obviously I was hanging around everyone I was around normally. Mm-hmm. I would get vegetarian jokes, and they had found out at some point because <clears throat> they had gone out with me. Right. And noticed I wasn't eating meat. Right. Um, but, you know, for a lot of the people that knew me and didn't hang out with me as regularly or were just, you know, acquaintances, yeah. that was never something they really found out because mm-hmm. that's yeah, you know, it it wasn't my identity, up. you know? Yeah. I'm not the kind of guy that walks into a room. I'm the kind of guy that walks into a room and says a lot about himself. <laughs> I used to be, at least. Um, we used to call you the hipster. There, yeah, I remember that know, one. <laughs> no, for real, yeah. Um, Loving me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it was, it's just not one of those things I ever felt that I needed to talk about. Mm-mm. Um, I, I understanding too that there was a little bit of stigma there, but it wasn't anything that like boosted my ego that I needed to brag about either. You know, yeah. it was my own change for me. It wasn't anything outward. Yeah, it was um, a personal choice. It wasn't something mm-hmm. that would. It wasn't part of your identity. It's yeah. just like I want to try to do this, so I'm doing this. Period. Yeah. Like it wasn't. It's like to me, it's no different than someone deciding they're going to work out. Yeah. You know, like you don't broadcast it to the world. You don't, or it's not necessary to people do it anyways. Yeah. Um. I actually just saw a post on Instagram. It was like uh, like an onion like headline post. It was mm-hmm. like breaking news: man doesn't post his doesn't post his workout today despite breaking a PR. I, <laughs> I was dying because I saw that. <laughs> because I mean that's like what Instagram is all about now. It feels like yeah. is just constantly someone bragging about their 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 PR they broke or something like that. Yeah. And I mean I'm totally guilty of it too. So I'm not <laughs> too I'm not saying I'm above it in any respect, but yeah, I didn't. It's just so funny to, like, kind of think about, like, you know, doing something for your own sake, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, like, what your whole thing is, right? Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, recently, yeah. Um, I, I have in the past, again, a lot of my behavior might have been determined by a reputation that I had understood from feedback from other people. Yeah. Or, again, codependence. Um, but, yeah, no. What was a... You just jogged my memory on something, and I lost it. <clears throat> if I come back to it. But, like, yeah. kind of what I was, like, what, what surprised me, too, is, like, you're kind of having this self-reflection type thing. It's almost, mm-hmm. it's almost like, borderline meditative where you're trying to, like, you're like where you're, like, searching yeah. for yourself, you know? Like, searching uh, your soul in some ways. And it's, it's interesting that you're kind of doing this without having, I don't know if, if I'm reading into it too much, but it, it, you're just doing it on your for your own sake. But it's, like, you're... I don't know how it triggers, like, is it, was it gradual, or was there, like, a big moment where this I th- happened? I think over the years, um, it, w- it wasn't until after I was done with college, like, the whole college experience, whether it was at Harper or Illinois State, mm-hmm. um, I was always, pretty much always working two jobs. That's true, I school. forgot you were always working. Yeah, you know, and it was like, it wasn't ever a great balance, and so, at the same time, too, I'm a massive extrovert. And I love yeah, expending I know energy, <laughs> or at least like I'm a little calmer nowadays. But like in the in the past, I really liked expending energy in any mm-hmm. direction. And of course, school and work aren't quite as invigorating as yeah. the normal. Well, because it's always like. it's always it's it's routinized. You're mm-hmm. always doing the same things, interacting with the same people. Where you yeah. you like to be around environments, people, like experiences, or. I guess vibes for lack of a te- technical term. No, yeah, that's, you know? <laughs> that's definitely it. Um, like an energized environment, I guess you'd kind of call it. <laughs> absolutely, um, I love that, and I find you know time that isn't being, I found time that wasn't being engaged socially or productively, 
to be a waste. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had quite a bit of time on my... I didn't have a lot of time on my hands. Right. You know, that was weird. And so, <laughs> yeah, no, because of that lack of free time, I was like, oh, man, i got to be doing something, too. Yeah. Um, and it was just like Like, you just very, needed an outlet more so? <laughs> yeah. And then college ended, and things changed, and I still kept up the two-job lifestyle, and there was just, like, a lot of other stuff going on in my life. Um, but I realized to, I guess, again, a, a circle back to, like, again, codependence. Yeah. And, uh, I graduated college, and I stayed around my college town. I loved living there. Yeah, I remember. You were there for almost a year, right? Like, uh, or maybe it was, like, a half a year. I think probably only, like, four months. I oh, really? After. It yeah. felt longer, because I remember, like, we would, like, like, we knew you were done, but yeah. you weren't, like, home. So we were like, where's Bugle? Because like, you were, like, you were, like, always around, even mm -hmm. though you were in school, all the way down yeah. SIU, right? Uh, ISU, yeah. ISU, okay, yeah. Yeah. So, like, you're, you're, like, there, but it was, like, almost like you were home at least once a month. Yeah, it was, you know? <laughs> it was regularly. Um, whether it was, like, you know, a friend's birthday I couldn't miss yeah. or, like, a family event or something. It was, yeah. like, probably about once a month. I wasn't the best about communicating back home, but I would always right. try to stop by and, like, Yeah, know. whenever we were doing something, you know, because the way we communicate via Facebook is just yeah. anyone who's available is just, you know, you get a message on there and, you know, yeah. you just coordinate through the bat signal, so to speak. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> so, I am so appreciative of that group, too. Oh, because, me too. You know, I remember at one point I was friends with a group of people and this one guy had come home from college and was, like, annoyed with everybody because they weren't there. They weren't at his disposal to hang out. He was like, I'm yeah. home for the first time in forever. Why aren't you there for me? Yeah. And he hadn't communicated that he was going to be home. He just expected to be home and everyone would yeah, drop Yeah, never stuff. drops everything. Yeah. You know, and I, having learned that, I was like, all right, I'm going to be, you know, forward. And, like, like if I'm going to go back to ISU, like, instead of texting, like, 20 to 30 people, there have been times where I'll just, like, make a Facebook stand and say, like, yeah. hey, I'll be back in town tonight. And sure enough, I'll wind up with some texts and see some people that I wouldn't have thought to see, you know, right. just because it's kind of a changing plans it's something right. out of the blue so you don't quite that's you know, it's actually a really good started. point you bring up because like people are starting to do that for me like like the big one here is like scheduling things for the podcast right mm -hmm. and i'm like you know guys i'm so like at the back of my head i'm just like i'm so busy but i know you got your own schedule so i'd much rather say have you tell me what works for you and i'll like make time to be available for that you know rather than the other way around yeah because i've just got so much bouncing around that it's just like it's just easier for me to work within your own schedule than the other way around yeah you know and so like whenever people do like you know especially like with the uh, way we kind of communicate to see people especially those of us who like travel or live far away now or whatever it helps that you you know you just throw it out there like a month in advance or whatever Mm -hmm. Because we all have jobs, right? You can't just assume that people have nothing going on. It's, it's, yeah. it's not like high school anymore where mm -hmm. we're, you know, maybe half the people work or whatever and you yeah. just don't have anything going on. Like, yeah. in a given day, you could be pulled in seven different directions. Mm -hmm. You know, and to me, it kind of makes it more... It kind of makes it more special then, too, is like when you're able to make time for someone because it's like, oh, I'm taking the time out of my day. You know, like like right now, like you're taking taking the time out of yeah, your day to no. come here and, and do this podcast with and us. You're taking time to uh, help me out here, yeah, dude. I mean, I awesome. think it's cool, you know. And then like even last week, we kind of sat, we went to Pollyanna and just chilled for a couple hours and just talked about stuff. And yeah. like that's kind of cool for me, like because like we've always been close, like post high yeah. school and stuff like that. But it was never like deep like conversations or stuff. It was always yeah. just around other people in the group. Yeah. But I was like new of you, right? And so it was just kind of cool to see. You know, it's even weirder because you're the same age as my brother. But since you've always hung out with us, even though my brother always hangs out with us too, yeah, I've always kind of viewed you as older, <laughs> which is weird. Because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Cause I've, I've I've experienced that confusion amongst yeah different people too. Yeah, no. Because yeah. <laughs> you just kind of like attached yourself to the group. Just yeah. <laughs> via via exposure. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, that's entirely correct. <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
So it's just fun to like kind of see the shift in mindset and stuff like that, and like where people are heading. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the things that's always cool for me is just like how people's values change or trajectories in themselves change, and where they yeah. where they want to see themselves. Because yeah. I think that's one of the things that's special about our group in general is we have this very. I don't even know if it's fluid is the right word, but it's like we always we all have goals. If that makes sense, like we have some sort of something that just drives us in a different direction, and and you obviously have something that's driving you. You don't know what that thing is yet, and you haven't found that one thing that's gonna stick. Yeah. But I think that's part of, you know, how you become better at things and finding the thing that sticks. You know, I think the word passions or whatever, and 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 how, you know, people find that one thing that matters most for them, whatever. Yeah. It it's so I don't know if you agree with this, but. I would love to hear your thoughts, obviously. Sure, yeah. Um, but I think it's like an overused term where you don't, like, it's like, it presupposes that you're you're born with this thing that you've always meant to do. This purpose, yeah. This purpose, right? Yeah. That overarching big P purpose thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more of like you need to just do a whole bunch of shit and then see which one sticks. Mm-hmm. And it's not glamorous, but, like, I, just, I think that's the best way to go about it because you don't know what you're going to be good at or what's, like... And it presupposes that because of your, like, your purpose is what you're good at. Yeah. And I don't think that's true necessarily. Because your purpose could be something that you absolutely suck at, but you do it and you enjoy it so much that you eventually become good at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like actually, and as a creative person, I, you know, yeah. I, I would love to hear how you, you view that. Because um, we definitely come from the different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I think there's a very big difference between, like, passion and utilitarian pursuits. Yeah. And, um... I don't even know where to start. There's a lot. <laughs> but I think I think passions are ever-changing. Like, the reason I got into graphic design was because I was around people that were adults and they didn't like their career. And mm-hmm. it was mundane and monotonous and they just didn't enjoy it. And there was also, you know, as you get older, everybody kind of moves away. Certain yeah, things right. change. I had a lot of adults, people in their 40s, like, oh, you're having fun now as a kid. But when you grow up, you won't have the energy. Like cynical People will fall off, you know? It. Yeah, and I think... I think they were correct in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the warnings di- are, are ringing true, uh, but not in, this, in definitively. Yeah. Not the way they presented them. And uh, it was, it, it's, you know, like people do start to move away for work. And mm-hmm. you kind of lose touch with people that, you know, when you don't have as much energy at the end of the day, you think about the people you'd rather see than the people you wouldn't. Yeah. And, you know, I came from a place I had a lot of, friends if not acquaintances i was yeah. always around always out always doing something and after a while you regularly realize like who's important and there's not to diminish any of those other relationships right. but you know you kind of learn to invest your time in a different way mm-hmm. um i don't know where i'm going with this oh passion and utility yeah yeah um <laughs> you found it again there you go but, uh, passions are ever changing so the reason i pursued graphic design was because i was around those people that were like you know i was like oh, your job takes over your life, this and that. Okay. And so I was like, I want to do something that makes me happy without any any perspective on getting a job in the arts right. at all. Like, nothing. You're like, I enjoy this thing, so I'm going to do it regardless of whatever dollar value is attached to that, right? Yeah. Uh, not, <laughs> not with, like, not with confidence. <laughs> oh, okay. Not, not like, it's going to work out for me or, like, some blind, <laughs> like, I just want to pursue my passion, I'll be the starving artist. Yeah, right. It was just something that made sense at the time. And in retrospect, it would not, not worth the risk factor. Um, <laughs> you know, it happened to have worked out now and I've made a lucrative career yeah. in graphic design after um, paying my dues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
I think it, it's tough, and right now, as an adult, <laughs> or something close to an adult... You're somewhere between adult and... <laughs> yeah, I'll always be a big kid, but... You're right. It's, it's different, and this... It's... I, I will say passion is a is an overused word, absolutely, mm-hmm. and I think our interests are ever-changing, and you grow as a person. Yeah. And so, right now, I think I talked to you about this previously the other night, but I'm one of my bigger bigger sides of the pursuit, which there's I, I have kind of an end goal in mind. Yeah. But one of my bigger sides of the pursuit is this idea that, okay, you could have potentially two career paths. Mm-hmm. You find a career that satisfies your ego. Yep. You know, like, okay, I want to be at the forefront of this industry. I want to be or making I'm successful or important in no, some Not even that. Not I even was, that? No, okay. it, it actually could. I never thought about that in terms of, like, you know, the CEO holding his uh, suspenders. Yeah, I mean, some people, ha, yeah, ha, ha. some people like that, you know, that stroke of the ego type view, you know, master of the universe yeah. type person. Yeah, that wasn't even something I registered. But more, again, destigmatizing the idea of ego. Right, um, yeah. Someone, like, someone who is a nurse and says, more like I fulfillment. like to help people. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, there's doctors out there that like it for the money, and then there's doc- there's doctors out there that like it for the stability, and then there's doctors out there that like helping people. Yeah, and they the like altruistic version of yeah, it. Yeah, you know, so yeah. uh, more altruistic ego attachment. Yeah, I see. Um, but so with that, I'll, I'll get into that in a sec. Yeah, but, go ahead. So you have that, and that can fulfill yourself in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you can kind of like get your nourishment from having a career that you really enjoy, or you can have a career that allots you to enjoy a lifestyle, and yeah. it's usually tied to money. You know, like. I have friends that don't really necessarily enjoy their mundane jobs, but mm-hmm. they make a lot of money, and right. they get to go travel all the time and mm-hmm. do all this fun stuff and see concerts. And the starving artist doesn't quite get to do that. Right. Um, and so with that, obviously the ideal is somewhere down the middle. You yeah. know, a career that you have passion behind and makes you the money to go do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. A career with a bunch of vacation days and yeah. all this kind of stuff, <laughs> and you genuinely feel appreciated, and they have omelet bars and all that. Right. Um, and it's, it's there's a balance somewhere in there, but... With that, what was the? So with that, fulfilling your ego or your own interests in terms of altruistic ideas, someone for a lot of those careers, someone can always do that. Yes. Someone there's there's probably always going to be a nurse to fill those shoes, or someone right, in any yeah. kind of profession there's always going to be a social worker, and those people that want to be at the forefront, they're doing it all for them. You can destigmatize that, you know, but it's their interest. That's why they're mm-hmm. there. That's why they're in that career. Yeah, they it's something they that wanted position, to pursue. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, in terms of that, trying to detach that, you know, knowing that someone's always going to be in those careers, mm-hmm. where does the difference come in and impact? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like asking, like, what do I bring to this? That's my. That's my. Yeah. And special with, touch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And with that, that special touch tends to be regarded as innovative. Right. And to me, the thing that I find most innovative is people who are able to draw parallels. Mm -hmm. And that's another big reason why I'm trying to expose myself to as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Is because the more you know, I I think it's kind of dumb when people like crap all over the idea of a jack of all trades. Someone who's got like, the more you know, the better. For real. (laughs) You're preaching the choir over here because this is my whole thing. (laughs) Was that Captain Planet? Knowledge is half the battle? Um, Yeah. But my dad used to tell me when I was really little, knowledge is power. 
mm-hmm. legitimately. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was probably like 10 or something when you tell me that. I was like, that sounds stupid. <laughs> you know, because yeah. you're just like, that, <laughs> like, duh. <laughs> I mean, when you're the cool kid, the whimsical stuff is, like, lame, you know? Yeah, right. But I mean, I definitely wasn't the cool kid, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're trying to be cool, I guess. I was definitely As you look around my basement, there's literally, <laughs> like, it's cool today's standards, but... <laughs> 15 years ago, it was yeah. definitely not cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I grew up a major dork, so right. I'm, I mean, I'm there with you. Yeah, but. I mean, most of our friend group understands it, but yeah. a lot of people <laughs> from the peer group did not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but So I think it's not, a, it's not necessarily a passion project. I think you can, you know, spin it like, oh, my passion is this, or my passion is that, yeah. and it's affecting it I feel like people way. label it. Yeah, and I think... I don't think labeling is a bad thing. I think, no. you know, like, you don't know, you don't even know a language when you go learn a new language. Mm-hmm. You don't know, uh, you can learn a lot, but you start to learn words that have no application mm-hmm. in English because it's really attached to that culture. Or when you go look at a culture and they have a bunch of words for the same thing, you understand yeah. the importance of that. Labeling <laughs> is important, um, but it's also can be limiting. There's a balance for everything. Like yeah, right, right now, me saying, here's this kind of career and this kind of career, it's black and white for a reason. There's always gray in absolutely right, every yeah. subject. <laughs> but to approach it a little more systematically and have a different you know, yeah. process instead of this chaotic mass of ideas, right. just kind of narrow it down and expand from there. Yeah. And I t- I've done that I with t- a lot I of t- stuff. I totally agree. Yeah. No, <laughs> which is like the opposite of graphic design where it's like, Here's 5,000 ideas, whittle it down. 5,000 new ideas based on that, whittle it down. And yeah. you just keep going until you hit that perfect answer on your own bias. You yeah, know? like whatever feels right for you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah. creative process is such an interesting thing, right? Yeah. Like, I don't, know, I don't know if you have more to add on, like, the creative process and stuff, because it's like, you know, a- along with that synthesis thing with ideas, mm-hmm. um, or just anything, it's like synthesizing anything is, to me, like, a lot of people see, like, a track of things, like, one simple path right where it's like well this is like i'm in the like sociology bucket right now or the the math bucket right now or the science like bucket right again to the labeling thing before um but the way i always like viewed school like like early on and things like that before i started doing all this stuff is it was like what can i learn in like sociology or whatever class i had taking for gen ed that everyone thought was stupid and how did i how could i pull some bit from that that's going to make me a better engineer that no one else is going to be able to do. Because they were sitting in class and they're like, well, this is fucking stupid. I don't need to know how to yeah. work with people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or understand how psychologically we function, right? Whatever. For whatever reason, you know? And I, I would sit in class and I would just do that and think, I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm like, oh okay. I, could, like, it just, I would just pull something out of it for some reason. It would just make it more interesting for me. And like going from there is kind of like how you know, creative process where I think you, we always start from somewhere, regardless of where our ideas come from. Yeah. It, they're based around someone else's mm-hmm. before us. And finding your own voice, you know, in the creative sense, right? I don't know yeah. if, if you have any way of like proving that for yourself, because we all develop our own style to some degree once we, you know, you spend four years as a graphic design major, so you're in like, now you work with your own stuff, so you definitely have yeah. your own tool set, right? <laughs> I, I do. Uh, I have, I certainly have my comfort zone. Yeah. And that's in illustration. Okay. Typography is something that's still, to this day, I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And um, 
with graphic design, I pursued it because I'd been drawing since I was a kid, and I had all these, like, ego boosters. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're going to get into the drawing class for the older kids, or right. oh, you won an award for this as a kid. And I had plenty of people in the field say, like, you know, you're going to get to college, and you're going to think you're big in your britches, mm -hmm. and you're going to learn real quick that you are not number one. And right. sure enough, I did. Yeah. Um, community <laughs> college, it was a little bit of a slap in the face, and then I got to... I got to ISU, and it was really, like, not only were my peers much better than me, but on top of that, the professors were a lot more blunt. And really? I think one of the biggest things that challenged me was one of my professors who openly had a talk with the, with the class and was like, you know, you don't know what it's like in the field. One of the best mm -hmm. designers I've ever seen is struggling to find a job right now. Wow. And I think there's a little bit there in terms of, like, you know, you have these professors guiding you through and watching you grow right. and they want to see you be receptive and a lot of good companies want to see you be receptive too mm -hmm. like uh there's like the story of someone that went to go work for disney and in the interview their their portfolio wasn't that great yeah but they had like i think five to eight pieces that were relatively strong and the second that the disney interviewers went to go critique them yeah they kind of pulled out a pen and paper and started writing stuff down and they were like what are you doing and she was like well i'm taking notes to improve my work like, if this is your feedback, it's going to be good stuff. And right then and there, they were like, okay, she's, like, receptive enough to really that's become awesome. a great designer. Yeah. And that's what they want to see. Um, but at the same time, there's growth outside of that echo chamber in education, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of bias there, too, and you need to expose yourself mm -hmm. to different stuff. And I, I don't know this for a fact, but I think I, I saw some of the better designers not quite pursuing, uh, like, internships or anything on campus. Mm -hmm. And, like... I actually can't take any credit for the first thing I did at ISU. I ran into uh, an old friend in the hallways and was like half asleep on my way to Spanish. And she was like, hey, I didn't know you went here. And I was like, I didn't know you went here. And we just started the conversation. And she was like, are you involved at all? And I said, no. So she told me to go apply for this thing. And I was like, all right, I'll just do it. And like, I got nothing else expected, going on, right? <laughs> yeah, I expected, like, some minuscule position where I'd, like, you know, hop in front of a computer, brain dead, and just, like, design some stuff, and hopefully they didn't expect too much of me. And it wound up being a much bigger thing than I anticipated. And from That's there, cool. it was, it was like, you know, my first kind of resume builder. And so I just started hopping from position to position and did some freelance work, and mm -hmm. it's it was really cool. And I always had that illustrative background to kind of guide me and it had right. a lot it poked through in my work my humor also pokes through in a lot of my work oh yeah stuff that, I make, <laughs> stuff that i make i don't even try to add personality to or don't think i guess that i'm adding personality mm -hmm. or humor and then i'd like put it in front of a class or i'd put it out in the newspaper or whatever and <laughs> people would be like ah that was funny right and i was yeah. like what like, like, what are you even, seeing in there I, yeah i didn't understand that's that, funny that was a way to receive it yeah um but i think my illustrative side is even starting to come through in my current career the way I'm approaching stuff and kind of like I, I work in office supplies it's mm -hmm. it's mundane and so what I did was you know you have to find a balance of like you know using your grid and being safe and then you can kind of get a little absurd from there <laughs> and so I had you know I was like I had this safe grid with some text in the middle and then I just kind of put it on an angle for a dynamic element and then we had um, those like weird quote mark shaped like whiteout things okay and so I just turned that, the, the one, it, like the saying sounded more like a quote than just stacked words. So I put it in quotes using those whiteout things. And it was like the first time I had actually put out a graphic of work that was just like, my art director was like, yeah, cool, good. 
and that was that. Like, there, was no, there was no, you can make an improvement here. Yeah. Um, I think that's also comes a little bit from like, you know, I've been taking four day weekends and had a lot of time to rest. Mm. Um, also after a pretty exhausting year, I'm starting to like really let myself recharge. Right. But it's, it's certainly showing through and you don't notice those subtleties no. what, in the moment. But, no, you know, not even the fact a little bit. If you reassess, you know, what affected me here? Why did I yeah. do this so well kind of thing? Uh, but I think that illustrative aspect for me is like where a lot of my stuff shines through, but graphic design wise, I was not a graphic designer when I showed up to ISU at all. I was not yeah. prepared to be a graphic <laughs> designer, and uh, if it wasn't for that professor saying, you're not going to get a job in this field if you keep up your behavior to like our class, and especially yeah. kind of, she kind of pulled me aside specifically a few times, oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, she definitely helped bash my ego quite a bit, which is what I certainly needed. And um, the, the duffer thing, though, there, too, <laughs> is you have these people that you look up to so much in graphic design. Your professors, mm -hmm. the ones that are in the field, the ones that are providing you this stuff yeah. to help walk you through the creative process and teach you. And there's a lot of romanticism there. But uh, <laughs> in terms of, you know, you're going to school to get a job. Yeah. And it's tough because these people are, you know, you look up to them, but they're... Oh, the smartest thing I've heard is you never listen to someone who hasn't gotten a job in your field. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Is like There's a fine line between professor yeah. and, you know... Practitioner. Like, actual person who's, like, a real graphic designer, right? Mm -hmm. there, well, so there's a difference between graphic design professor and... So any mm -hmm. professor should be practicing in their field. And they're not unfamiliar. Right. But they also have the built-up reputation already. Yeah. They can go around. Well, they probably had a f they had probably had a career for ten, fifteen years, whatever, exactly. and then they retired and became mm -hmm. a professor because, like, well, yeah. now I've got a career, mm -hmm. and now I'm like, I feel okay when you go teach, you know, mm -hmm. right off into the sunset, so to speak. Yeah, and to be <laughs> fair too, they're still in the field. Like the field's always changing. There's always yeah. new stuff. You can go do your research, and they do their research. They're very good at that. Um, but they also take their sabbaticals and they do mm -hmm. their freelance work. So it's not like they're completely unplugged. Right. But in terms of starting to forge a career is where there's the disconnect. Because right. we had a lot of our professors and read a lot of stuff that was like, okay, you're going to go forward and you're going to follow up. You're going to send an email that says, I'll call you at this time. And then you call them at that time. And mm -hmm. then, you know, you might make a little more communication or something like that. And mm -hmm. essentially, Give you a, a polite way to say the squeaky wheel gets the oil, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to get that attention. Uh, not the case. Right. I, I, went and found some own, I went and found some blogs of my own, and it was essentially, like, everybody in the field that was part of the interview process mm -hmm. was like, yeah, if someone, like, tries to reach out to us, like, more than twice, it looks like they're needy, and we're yeah, right. not going to hire you no matter what. And I really wanted to work for Bentley's pet stuff. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go full forward. Like, I'm just going to go into this. And I, like, emailed the person, sent my resume, added them on LinkedIn, and then, like, followed up and called the store and was like, I'm interested in this job. Never heard a thing back. Right. And I was like, I wasn't overqualified, but of all the stuff I was applying to, I was much more qualified yeah. than a lot of the other stuff I was looking at. And I think, you know, I, I when I say I paid my dues to try and get my career that I've, like, you know, feel as though I've made a lucrative career out of design at the moment, I paid my dues in the terms of, like, I went through, like, 100 and I applied to 150 places. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people might lose drive at that point. And yeah. it was, like, you know, it was tiring, but I had other things at my disposal, too, that, like, kind of, like, pushed me through, and it was just a time game. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, some of those inter some of those applications and some of the interviews yeah. might not have gone so well because of that initial approach I had heard about, where it was, like, just, just lay, message them. Lay just on lay the, it. Yeah, lay on the gas. <laughs> I think that worked, you know, for, like, our parents and things like that, where, mm -hmm. where jobs seemed... I wouldn't say were easier to get, but it was just less credentialization behind them, right? Because, yeah. like, uh, almost every job you see nowadays, it says, you know, minimum five years experience, right, at an entry-level position. And some of the best advice I had gotten when I was still at my community college itself was saying, 
whenever you see a job like that, that's they're they're putting best case scenario on there, mm-hmm. right? But they don't expect to get that. You know, yeah. that's just like the high bar they're setting. But it's like anywhere between that, right? And as long as you kind of can di- differentiate yourself, you know. And I think for a job like you got, right, like where it's where yes, it's technical, but you can make a portfolio, right? Yeah. So you can prove your skill. Yeah. And it's kind of subjective still at that point, right? So sometimes you'll get people who love your work and other times you get people who hate your work. Yeah. Whereas like in my field where it's quite technical, they don't know how much you know or how, you know, apt you are at what you do until you start doing it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a whole different thing because it's kind of a shot. It's a crapshoot then, you know? It's like you're saying you're a coder and you can, you know, you know, a, a, diff- a difference yeah. between an A coder and a C coder is a really big difference thing, right? Like, if, yeah. if you really understand it, it's a whole nother ball game. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I find that really interesting. And, you know, as a person who's a, a rudimentary graphic designer at this point, <laughs> where I can, I kind of have my, my, my formula kind of down to something, and it's functional. I would, <laughs> I would say collectively, from the stuff I've seen from you, you've certainly found a voice in graphic design. Yeah. And you have a consistent graphic style. that I. Yeah, I definitely have my own style. I gravitate to certain colors, that's for sure. There's <laughs> more than that, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there's definitely more than that, but I have I have my own niche that I've kind of developed in my own way. And it's just from just doing it, which is so weird for me. Like, my whole, you know, foray into visual arts, I guess you'd call mm-hmm. it. And just kind of realizing that like creativity doesn't have a label because I, I I grew up always thinking creativity was like you're like to be a creative in quotes was artistic you know mm-hmm. it was like any of the art classes or photography or anything like that and I was like well I'm good at math and science and stuff that's not creative mm-hmm. so I kind of just said meh I'm not that kind of person and since since I started doing all of my own avenues of stuff I'm like realizing like hey you like creativity doesn't have boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a kind of again going to your idea with the the you know synthesizing stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it, that's what's like really cool for me is like just because you don't fit into the normal buckets of creative doesn't mean you aren't. You know, and giving people more tools to see that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think, you know, there's also been a shift in like the acceptance of weird and I think weird has yeah. a direct correlation with a creative in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's also, as we get older, too, it's a little more of what it is. Yeah. But uh, it's it's a lot. Everything's yeah. a lot. Yeah. So my question, one of the questions that came up when you were talking is some of the stuff, like, with the uh, the Disney artist. Was mm-hmm. Do you read at all? No. No? I'm Be- terrible at reading. It surprised me, because when you were explaining that story, it reminded me of a book called Creativity, Inc., mm-hmm. which is a a look inside Pixar. And how Pixar runs itself. Can I crack a beer? I'm yeah, you can. Okay. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's it happened. Too loud no. <laughs> People are used to it at this point. If they're not, <laughs> if not, they will be. Cool. Because yeah. almost every podcast, there's a beer sound opening. <laughs> most point. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking of a book that you probably enjoy called Creativity Inc. And it's basically looking inside Pixar and how Pixar runs itself, which is Interesting. which basically tries to foster as much creativity mm-hmm. in, within its walls and give people some as much lateral thinking as possible. That's interesting. You know, and and I, I personally haven't read the book, but I've been exposed to the concepts inside the book offhandedly through other books and, yeah. you know, like bookception and things yeah. like that, that I, I think you'd probably really enjoy that that book. Interesting. I actually, um, one of the few guys that got into the IS, the only person from the ISU Art Hall of Fame mm-hmm. that was a graphic designer was this guy they had come in and talk when they did his in- induction mm-hmm. or whatever. 
and he talked up Disney so hard, and I I don't want to get too in depth. I'm trying not reference people that I know. Yeah. Um, but I have heard different things about the Disney experience, right. and it's a little. Uh, again, I don't have my own. Right, you're, first-hand you experience, don't have a dog in the race. Heard, yeah, no, and I'm not working for Disney anytime soon. But <laughs> um, it's I've I've heard that it's not quite as liberal, right? As you might think, it's it's I've heard it's a limiting kind of place. Mm-hmm. I think there is, you know, and I think it's tough too in the graphic design world. Like one of the things I found when I went to a place to go have my portfolio checked out and mm-hmm. was like, well they were more like a career placement agency that were like, okay. We see a lot of potential and here's how we're gonna fix you up. And I just took that and found a way better job. And so <laughs> the thing was there, they were like, no one like you have really cool art. You have really interesting stuff that you've made from scratch. And mm-hmm. I was like Thank you very much. And they were like, that's all crap. And I was like, okay, cool. And <laughs> They're like, here, let me stay. Yeah. Let me brush it off real quick and no. <laughs> their bigger interest, their bigger interest was like, they want to see what you can do with a brand. They okay. want to know that you can operate within brand standards because if you want to find a good career, you're going to have to work for big companies. And those right. companies have their own standards, their own aesthetics. Like T-Mobile is great at that. You look at the color scheme, you look at the big text, you know exactly what you're looking at when a commercial comes on or you see a poster before it even registers in your brain. You're like, oh, T-Mobile. Yeah. It's right there for an example. Right, there's a ton of psychology that goes into these Mm -hmm. big brands that everybody knows. (laughs) Yeah, and so that was one of the... And I I had had the opportunity through some cool people to either build out a brand Mm -hmm. or operate within a bigger company's brand standards on Mm -hmm. some freelance stuff. And so that was really cool, and they were like, hey, throw these things in your portfolio. And then they also told me, like, you know, a horror story of some guy that was, like, a very arrogant designer, and he was working for Nintendo, or his company was being contracted by Nintendo. Okay. And this was, like, the biggest contract they had gotten so far. Yeah. And the dude was like, okay, this graphic's ready to send to Nintendo. And a coworker was like, hey, that's not the font they sent us. They need this sans serif font. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that didn't look good. This looks better. And he was like, you're going to change it, to the font that they sent us, and he was like, trust me, this looks better, they like it. And he was like, they're not going to like it. They're Nintendo. They yeah, have right. their own brand standards, yeah, yeah. and they're going to reject this. We have this. to work within their their requirements. Yeah, and that story ends with that guy getting fired. So, you know, and I, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, it's really cool that I was able to get that kind of information from inside. Um, I don't think it was hard to find. That's kind of an interesting concept, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because everyone thinks, like, when you become a graphic designer, you're like, I'm going to design my own things. We're going to, like, mm-hmm. you know, create the next big whatever or yeah. kind of thing. But then it's like, you know, you get to corporate world or whatever. Not even corporate world. Just, like, creating logos for other people's visions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like creative. It's like creative within boundaries, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, it's, like, softly implied. Where it's like you got to realize that, hey, you're working... With from someone else's viewpoint. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're... Um, Is it a different... I didn't even... I've never even thought of it that way until, like, right now. <laughs> yeah, in the same way that businesses thrive based on image and graphic design, um, you know, like, for instance, with Apple, just as easy example. Yeah. Apple is a lifestyle brand without being a lifestyle brand. Like, I think something comparable with the same impact and mission is, like, Fitbit. Yeah. But Fitbit advertises so differently. They really take on that lifestyle brand, and, like, mm-hmm. you can see it, and it's not as clean, crisp, or whatever. But you look at the packaging, you get that package, and you're like, oh, this almost looks like an Apple product. It's yeah, so a little close. bit. Um, but if you go on their website, I, I almost find it messy. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan. 
And then you have Apple. And Apple branches out a little creatively sometimes, but they have this clean, crisp thing where they make you understand how it can affect your life, but it's really about the product. Yeah. And they have housed that idea, and it's just They like, have an aesthetic, like a yeah, very much aesthetically you know? pleasing, like everything is like rounded edges exactly. and bevels and, you know. But very... where would that aesthetic be, and where would the money be in that industry to advertise that aesthetic right. if it didn't exist, if you didn't have a quality product? Right. And there are so many products out there. Um, I mean, Tesla's like one of those things that's kind of like, is, is as much as a product of engineering as it mm-hmm. is of visually pleasing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because they've, they've really mastered that presentation of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because almost everyone, you know, I have an Apple phone, wherever the heck I put it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's got it's a very distinctive shape and silhouette and all that stuff, right? And yeah. when you see their, their commercials, right? Like, now that the newest phone is out, you they have those fancy commercials with, like, the crazy background on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's always, you know, they, they really know how... You know, it's less marketing about what it is mm-hmm. than, like, what it represents to, like, me and you, right? Like, or to the consumer. Yeah. You know, and that's an interesting thing, right? Because yeah. I, I think more so, and you probably really enjoy this, there's a, a documentary that was recommended on a another podcast that I listened to. Is the, it's called The Century of Self, and it's a pretty old uh, documentary. I want to say in the 90s it came out, and it's on YouTube. You can just Google it. It's four parts. But basically it looks at... Um, the the nephew of Sigmund Freud, the psychologist, hmm. and yeah. he basically applied all of his his uncle's teachings with like un you know unspoken desires you know inbuilt feel like feelings for things and stuff like that mm-hmm. and applied that to people right so century of self and basically single handedly created the marketing department as applied in the United States in like the thirties. And it kind of looks at how all of that shaped the United States and how we market things and how the entire world is now run off of that viewpoint. Yeah. Where, what, where what we buy and the things we use is an outward representation of who you are. Yeah. Right? And if I, mean, I, you I, have, I can see the weird... this, like, backlash of how consumerism has defined our lives. Right, so right. It's come full circle. It's yeah. so crazy. Like, I was watching... I'm not done with it yet, but I'm, like, yeah. halfway through, like, over the four-hour total thing, and it's, like... I'm, like, watching this stuff. I'm, like, whoa. Yeah. Because, you, like, you see it. And, like, part of me, too, is, like... Because the other part of this, too, is that same idea was applied in Nazism. Mm-hmm. You know, and how the Nazis took over Germany, and that idealism was, like... You know, they turned it the other way. Instead of imaging the person, they did it as a, a race thing, right? And yeah. they, they showed the, the evils that it could be. And basically creating people who are docile and obedient because of the things that... The representational things. Yeah. And um, I'm definitely paraphrasing horribly here. So for those of you, I recommend watching it rather than just <laughs> listening to what I have to say. Because I'm not a psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it, it just really resonates with me. And But the other part of it is... I, Whenever you start to say people have no free will and, like, we're always driven by... Oh, man. Like, when we're driven by something that's, inter- like, internally that we don't realize that people can turn knobs and pull you in and, yeah. and say, this is what you really want, right? Yeah. And I'm going to give you that subconsciously. Yeah. I'm like... It, it just it, I have a knee-jerk reaction to that because mm-hmm. I, cause it, it assumes people are dumber than they really are. Yeah. You know? Or that, something, you know? <laughs> it, it assumes a la- lower level of into- intelligence. And yeah. I'm just like, it's not right. Because it's... it's I don't know. I like to, I'm I'm an optimist at heart, so yeah. <laughs> I like to give people more credit than maybe they should. But sometimes, but I, I don't know. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, it's actually funny you should say that. I remember um, it was like the week after my twenty first. 
<laughs> and I went out with a buddy who kind of thought like a designer um, in terms of new ideas. Mm -hmm. He was always thinking, really good philosopher. Uh, yeah. He had a degree in psychology. Oh, that's cool. And just had a lot of time to think, from what I can recall. So he picked me up to go get a beer down at ISU, and he had this long talk with me before, like on the way there. Yeah. That was essentially like, I don't think we have free will. Whoa. And that was like, you know, his big I, idea, and then you slowly, you know, I met him a week later, and yeah. he was like, yeah, that was a little extreme, and I thought about it more, you know, which is what you kind of do. As one who likes to think about things does, you know, and so, yeah. <laughs> so, this whole thing is like, I don't think we have free will because, and I will agree, we're limited to what we know, which again, back to kind of what I'm doing right now, right, is like, yeah. you know, exposure. find out more. Yeah, exposure. But he was like, we're limited to what we know. And so in that, our decisions are based off all the people around us. We're inevitably codependent. Yeah, basically, if we're a finite human being, is what, yeah. is, is, is you can sum up that yeah, thing. Exactly. <laughs> so we go, we get our beer. He continues that talk. I love how most and, great uh, conversations happen with beer. Yeah, oh, they have to. <laughs> um, but so we, 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 he continues the talk, and it's just kind of like, you know, I was like trying to match him back. It was like, you know, just... Offering some kind of mm -hmm. rebuttals here and there. And was like, well, you know, people in the moment are making decisions. He's like, but what about it's just reactions you've seen and this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're driving back. We only had one beer each, but he ran a stop sign and got pulled over, like, within no feet of the bar. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and all I could think, and so he was honest with the cop. Yeah. He was like, hey, I had a beer tonight. And so they gave him, like, the DUI, just eye test, like, waving, wagging yeah, finger he in front of him. Yeah, like, drunk, drunk. Yeah. And sure enough, he was fine to drive. Yeah. But the whole time we were sitting there, I was like hey, could you have made the decision to not run that stop sign? Was that free will that you didn't run that stop sign? And I just, like, couldn't, like, make right. that joke in the moment. Because yeah. he was, like, so, obviously, like, he just got pulled over. A There's little a lot of stress in there, yeah. you know? <laughs> he had almost gotten a ticket. I think he did get a seatbelt ticket or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They let him off with something. I don't know. So they let him um, off the hook, basically. Or maybe just the, well, he ran a stop sign, so he might yeah. have gotten ticketed for that. Yeah, just, like, whatever minor. Yeah, but didn't get a DUI. And... But yeah, I thought it was so funny. I right. was like, you, uh, you had the I know, I, I, I've definitely, like, you know, me and Joe have definitely had this conversation before with free will, thinking about it, and things like that, and honestly, kind of where the blueprint of this these conversations came from is, you know, us going to the bars and just talking mm -hmm. about bullshit for hours, right, you know, yeah. where we're just all getting beer and we're just talking about, right, you know, mm -hmm. napkin ideas or whatever, and, yeah, man. Um, you know... I've heard both ends of the spectrum of, like, the arguments for and against it, and I, I can see the logic in it, but I don't, you know, I have so much so much issue with the idea of free will because it's kind of like, or saying there isn't one, rather, mm -hmm. is, yeah. is, is, like, what species on has ever been able to do what we've done, mm -hmm. right? Like, we control the sun, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. you know? We got lights. We've understood how to adapt it, yeah. Yeah, like, mm -hmm. we, we were able, like, the surface of this planet has been changed by us right yeah. and i mean sure there's other creatures that can change the surface right being ants or something like that but to the scale that we've been able to shift the world you know to our own devices and make the world quote-unquote subservient to us to some degree and now we're mm -hmm. destroying it for hmm. lack of a better uh you know yeah no is is to say you know I mean, sure, that that one person can do it, so we're all symbiotic in some sense, right? Yeah. We all have to work in teams and things, but... Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of infatuation with immediacy, immediacy and instant gratification. Yeah, and, I mean, I think a lot of us, too, like, always... I, well, at least in the West, like, the United States, is we always, like, we want to become independent and make it on our own, right? Yeah. And do all that kind of stuff. But I, I, one of my big things has always been, like, tribal 
like not codependency like you've been talking about, but more mm-hmm. of like creating community, mm-hmm. like real connection, yeah, and creating like a web of just connection with people and understanding who they are, what they are, and how they they operate in the world, and be like, maybe I don't agree with everything you say, but I respect you for mm-hmm. it, and 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 I think that's gonna be, you know. Some of the things I think about it would be fun is to have, like, an entire, like, street where, like, all of our closest friends live on that street. Mm-hmm. And, like, as, like, a weird little aside, it'd be, like, you know, everyone's kids is all, like, yeah, no. neighbors and friends. And it's, like, oh, I'm going to go over to, like, whoever's house, you know? And they're, yeah. like, uncle whoever, right? But they're not blood-related. It's all just... <laughs> yeah. And I just... Step down from roommates. Just right. Always at each other. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it'd be cool because, like, that's something that it doesn't exist to this day, right? Like, yeah. everyone moves away. You move away from your family. You see your family during holidays. And, you know, then you kind of have your friends that you see maybe once a year. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's kind of the right way to do things to some degree. Because, like... I don't know. Because I'm so big into psychology now and just kind of connection in its own right and kind of combating mental illness and value structures, I guess, from the kind of... Because we've been talking about corporate world, right? Yeah. And corporate world can feel very soul-sucking, kind of what you were saying before, Mm -hmm. where it's like someone can be... You're replaceable, basically. And um, kind of creating a place where you're not replaceable, right? Where when you build connection with people and and you're like, it's not someone you work (laughs) with... Yeah. You know, where it's deeper than just like, oh, well, I work with you and I see you every day. Yeah. But, like, that doesn't, it doesn't go beyond surface I sometimes. Find that, I find that funny. Why is that? The, uh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't name names. I don't want to yeah. be liable for anything. Yeah, but, you, you can uh, change first names our, if you want to say it. But no, <laughs> no, no. All of our favorite burrito place, the uh, famous Build Your Own. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they try to bridge that gap. They try to say, yeah, we want corporate structure. We want you know, that safety and that accountability, mm-hmm. but we also want you to really feel like you're appreciated. Yeah. And they do, uh, it all depends on the staff. Every location varies, Right, you know? yeah. But at the end of the day, it's essentially like, you know, is that, is depending that what, on the store, depending on the Is that what you're saying where the they store. say, does that look perfect for you now? No, no. no not, it's, it's not even customer facing at all with No? That. No, very far from. Uh, they, they have this internal thing called a restaurant tourship. Oh, where you become a store that can churn out managers. Oh, okay. And that's a really cool mission, mm-hmm. and it helps everybody out in the team. And I happen to work for this burrito mm-hmm. capital, and it was like, you know, I was new to college, and I was figuring out living on my own. Who you and are also, and all that stuff. Yeah, I also jumped into that big internship I had been yeah. talking about, and I was like, hey, I would like to work 15 hours a week. And they were like, here's 25. Good oh. luck with that. And, you know, I had other obligations, and it was right. really easy for, uh, you know, I interviewed, and everyone was so positive mm-hmm. and really accepting, and then I got there for my first day, and they were like, who the hell are you? Shut up and make a burrito. Like, and there was really? a lot of detachment. There were some cool people, not to right. mean that. Yeah, I mean. But it was like, it was a, it was an, uh, that specifically, not even to diminish it, I'm sure it works on so many different things, it just didn't work for me. Right. That was the only job I've ever been let go from. Wow. Um, and it wasn't even like a, a confident letting go. Yeah. You know, they they had fired one person in a really rude way. Um, and to be fair, I didn't like this girl. I'll admit mm-hmm. that. But they essentially took her aside and they were like, hey, um, the way they broke it down eventually was like, do you want to work somewhere where no one likes you? Oh. oh, you don't. So you should probably just quit and like talk her into quitting. In like a very demeaning way. That's not like, you see, that could be handled so much better. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I think. Uh, 
And so with me, they were like, hey, it seems like you're not on board. And I could have spun it like prior to this, like a month prior, they were like, we're looking to like, you know, you've got a good attitude here. And right, yeah. We want to see you kind of spread that attitude. Yeah. Then a month goes by and they're like, hey, it seems like you're not on board for us trying to become a restaurateur store. And, you know, we want to know if you're on board. And I was yeah. like, I am not. Straight up said it. I was like, no, that's not my deal. I'm, yeah. I'm checked out. You you're like, I'm out. a student. Like, like, yeah. yeah. I got other priorities. And he's yeah. like, yeah. You, and he even said that. He's like, you got other priorities and yada yada. And like walked me through firing myself. And it was like, it, it was just still cold, you know? Yeah. And they, they try to hit that balance. But it all depends on, again, that was my location, I mean, my experience. It feels, I mean, that feels a little bit better than the way they handled the previous one. Yeah. Right? I mean, no, in perspective. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was at least, like, maybe two or three people that yeah. liked me at that store. So they were like, maybe we won't be total assholes to him. Yeah. But. Well, so what I can say in, in perspective of that, so, like, right now, my job is currently, like, ramping up. Like, we have a, a crazy high volume, and we kind of run on a skeleton's crew of people. So, like, mm-hmm. when we have volume issues, it really gets harder on us to um, kind of handle things much, you know, consistently and so like you know if i don't have time certain things just aren't gonna happen right mm-hmm. um so we're hiring all these temp people and, and it's kind of like the first wave is people who are <laughs> sons or, or family members of people who work already for the company and then the second wave is going to be actual temp workers right mm-hmm. because from a money perspective it makes sense and whatever like that but from a perspective of these people who are coming in, so they're kind of like roughly my age, a little bit younger, <clears throat> who are in college now. And so I'm teaching kids, I'm saying kids loosely since I'm still <laughs> kind of, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> yeah. young adults, I guess would be a better term. But I'm like teaching people who are younger than me, but I've been doing this for four years already. And it's kind of like, you know, these people have really broad backgrounds. They're temporary people, you know, kind of like what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And not many of them have technical experience. So I have to really approach them with, I know you don't understand this. I know this is probably not the most exciting thing you could do. You get paid for it better than the minimum wage. But I have to really just kind of, I'm learning how to be a teacher in the sense of being as hands off as possible and understand that maybe they're not going to have this same focus and attention to detail that I would have, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I'm dealing with, you know, I'm kind of working with things up here. It sounds like that's a little more of the balance of, like, grunt work versus, you know, a little more in-depth. Right, kind of yeah, because yeah. well, I'm naturally shifting from, from like, t- conducting tests yeah. to now becoming program manager where I'm teaching people how to do it. And, and it's a whole lot of upfront work to kind of fast-track people's learning, but also not be, like, too pushy and be like, this is how you need to do everything because I expect this. Like, like I don't want to be that kind of manager, right? But I, I still want to give you that leeway to be able to understand it and figure it on your own. Yeah. Because if I'm there all the time holding their hand, yeah. they're not going to get it, and they're just going to ask, ask me questions yeah. constantly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's such more, a hard – It's like, there's an art form to it. It's more humanizing to be open with people and yeah. forward and investing than – like I remember when I was uh, working at a car place – I, at some point, was the senior porter there. Mm-hmm. and porter? You know, uh, the, the guy who washes cars, drops customers off, and, like, does minuscule tasks. Oh, okay. It's because it's, like, a run, like, oh, assistant, almost, right? Uh, um, yeah, you can call it that. <laughs> and so, it was, it was weird. So, I was, you know, this was the, my first job was Hollister. That was weird. So, this was, like, my second job, and it was a lot cooler. I got to drive around, like, $40,000, $70,000 cars. And I yeah, was that's like, kind of cool. <laughs> it's, like, 17 years old. Like, yeah. this is pretty dope. And, 
But, so, the two guys that had hired me, definitely knuckleheads, really good dudes, but definitely, you know, <laughs> goof asses. So, some, of the, so, some of the best people you ever worked with, though, right? Yeah. For story purposes, at least. <laughs> yeah, very true. That was, oh, that was a weird first day with those two. Uh, but, so, they left, and new people came in, and eventually I was the senior porter, so I got in charge of, like, training people. Yeah. And I'd been there a while, so, you know, it was just kind of like walking people around the shop. And... It was a little bit like new people, you kind of have to delegate. And so the, mm-hmm. the person that would have normally been delegating had other stuff to do regularly. Right. And so it would be my job, but I never did. I would just get frustrated and I'd be like, and like some of the some of the staff members would like, maybe this was just their way of like, you know, helping seem like I was appreciated. But they were like, if mm-hmm. I want something done right, I'm going to come to you. Right. Well, the thing is, at a dealership, Pretty much everything should be done right. And I would, yeah. like, see them radio me a thousand times over, and I would watch, like, this guy that eventually got hired in his 50s. They mm-hmm. almost, like, never called him. Like, never. He yeah. Was, they never called his radio, like, hey, can you do this? Unless everybody else was totally busy. Right. Um, unless, but also, if it was slow, and I was, like, hanging out with the staff, they would, they would sure enough, it was an easy task. They'd give him the job. Yeah. It wasn't, like, totally on me. But in the middle of a rush, you know, we'd have, like, a complete like 14 cars backing up the drive a car right. that needs to be washed this and that and some cars that need to be pulled in and like i was the one who knew how to prioritize that just, <laughs> but you know yeah. and it would stress me out like oh i'm the guy for this and that but i didn't need to be the guy right. i let myself take on that role you know it was it, like i could have been like hey you 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 but i didn't trust them right and it was dumb and i would just get frustrated and stress myself out right and do the job right when i could have better taught them and yeah. you know i didn't learn that well, until I, later I, on but i mean one of the big things that like i've learned so it's like weird for me to kind of even think about this in any sense now because um a lot of the podcasts i started listening to before prior to all this was like entrepreneur people basically mm-hmm. like people who started their own companies you know and then how they hire people how they manage people how they you know do all that kind of like optimization work, I guess you kind of call it, on the surface. Yeah. And it was kind of like, you know, some people, you know, they want to be like that, where they, like, well, they're not going to do it the right way, so I'm just going to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And so what they would say is basically, you know, you, you have to give people the okay to say, you know, unless it's up to this problem, you know, yeah. like set the high watermark, everything below, figure it out, right? Do that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's kind of like where I'm at right now with my, my current position and stuff like that, mm-hmm. to try and figure out where that is going to be because I don't need, because like the more times I get stopped and ask questions or whatever, it just makes it that much harder. Right. Cause then you stress yourself out. You do all those yeah. extra things and you wind up error correcting way more than you should. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and you kind of have to, you know, wash your hands of it. Just be like, I you like, when you say, I trust you, I know you can do it good. You mm-hmm. know, that kind of from my own experience, from being mm-hmm. able to get that feedback from my own managers is one of the f- most freeing things ever. Yeah. Because when you because when you know they're not gonna like question you or be like, well, what is he doing when he's when I'm not around, right? When you have those managers who are like helicopter managers and they're mm-hmm. they seem like they're sharking around. Yeah. <laughs> and they feel like you know if you're I've had a lot of those right where you where yeah. if you feel like you're just like walking around or if like you happen to have your phone out for that one second that they see you and you're like God damn it now I'm gonna get yelled at right yeah. or or he's gonna mutter something to it, like the assistant and be like you gotta make sure he's not on his phone mm-hmm. right because yeah, <laughs> you had you we've all had those managers and I'm mm-hmm. guarantee you half of you people are listening to this laughing right now because <laughs> you know those type of people. Right, and I think, <clears throat> yeah. I think that's kind of the wrong way of going about it. And, and I know there's a fine line because there's there's a type of person that's going to abuse the hell of it, and there's going to you know be on their phone whatever the chance they get. But I think that's just kind of how these things fall out, right? Where I think 
in general, there's a there's a group there's a person right that's going to be high functioning quote unquote where they're going to be productive and they're going to get shit done when they need to get it done, mm-hmm. right? But then there's going to be the other type of person at the other end of the spectrum who's going to lazy around and not do shit, yeah, right, or do as minimal as effort as needed, and that's fine. But there's but there's from that spectrum right is then you it's like who what kind of person do you want to be yeah from that you know and it's going to be a scale but i think nine times out of ten the person that's going to be the the go-getter is going to naturally fall into the situation that you fall into right where you you wind up doing you know 80 percent of the work and then let the the other 20 percent take up the easy things right because then you know you can get it done and everybody around you knows you can get it done um and you can let it stress you out right (laughs) or you can just take it for what it is and be like well this is the situation I built yeah. myself into because you either two things happen. I think and this is coming from just my own situation. Either you you appreciate what it means and not let your ego get too stroked by it, mm-hmm. and you say, okay, it's gonna suck for now, but we're gonna figure it out. I'm gonna do as good of a job I can. Or you don't handle the pressure and you tell yourself, well, why am why do I have to work twice as hard as everybody else? Mm-hmm. And you pout and get poopy faced and whatever bullshit. And then you quit. Yeah. You know? And so it. Yeah. it's how you internalize it at that point. Mm-hmm. You know? And I don't really know the best yeah. answer in that situation. No, there's, there's not. <laughs> it kind of brings me back to, like, experience design, which, you know, for instance, you have, like, the Apple-Android debate, which, like, yeah. you have a, a lot of people like Android a little bit better because it doesn't house your experience as much. You don't have Steve yeah. Jobs over your shoulder. They're like, not no, you don't want to do that. Encapsulating it yeah. in, in a whole ecosystem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... As you don't have an <laughs> Apple phone. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I have a cracked, slow-moving Android. <laughs> but, um, no, the, the biggest thing with products is that customers like to be able to fail. Yeah. People like to be able to fail, and it's cool to be able to let people fail. Mm-hmm. It's, but at the same time, too, you got to let them be able to undo it. And that stuff yeah. was there, and now you have the undo button, yeah. you have refresh, and you have all these other options that are adaptations of that idea that have come over years and years of experience. But it's tough to apply that in an actual job, mm-hmm. you know? Like, how do you let someone fail? I yeah. remember when I was brand new at that job, I, went, I moved from the sales department with brand new cars mm-hmm. and then moved to the service department with cars getting service. Right. When I was in sales initially, I ran our wash bay off the track. And I was like, how do I do this? And like, so I tried to like move it forward and not get caught. And it got more off the track. And it was terrible. And then they were like, oh, just grab the jack and it was fixed, you know? Right. But if it hadn't been that scenario, I certainly learned from that. And there yeah. was something I recently learned with my last job where I accidentally deleted like a month's worth of commentary from our marketing department. Whoa. And it turns out we could go back for the database that we were using and they were able to like, you know, put it back in. Yeah. And I was the first one to do that. No one else had made that mistake before. Yeah. Um, but it was, again, a learning experience. Right. And it's cool that we were able to fail. Yeah. But what if we hadn't been able to get that back? I'm sure right. that's just one project yeah. that was like, okay, we don't have the documentation for this. But... That being said, like, it's tough, and so that ability to fail can come through certain skills like recognizing yeah. why your employees do what they do. And yeah. I, I saw that with my own boss, really cool. Like, I have these jobs that I work... My job is, like, 50% genuine graphic design, yeah, and then 50% print production. So I get these graphic design tickets. And That's kind of cool, because most people say print production is dead. Yeah, it's dying. Don't... Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it really is. Uh, it's uh, every, Everyone I've ever interviewed with is like, we like your background in print. We like that you have these abilities from, from the, some of the freelance work I've done. Because everything is digital, right? It is, yeah. Um, print may, may not die in our lifetime. 
I don't know if that's true. That's what everyone's saying. Um, there's going to still be catalogs. There's going to still be newspapers and stuff, right. but it's everyone's moving digital for a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I think print can make you a niche employee, but if there's a lot of people who can do print, you might be limiting yourself too, and you right. never want to diminish the idea of, like, digital is where you should be focused. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry for the tangent. No, you're good. No, you're good, man. No, that's true. I, I just, for instance, with that, though, like, I remember I, every interview I went to, the first three, I was like, people would be like, do you not have anything, like, on a tablet? Do you not have a PowerPoint? And I was like, no, should I? And wow. like, your whole portfolio is in print? And I was like, yeah, I printed it out. And like, I mean, that's how they do it in school still. Yeah, exactly. That's how, <laughs> that's how people are taught. But some of the schools don't do that. Um, and they were like, this is so refreshing. Everyone we've had, like, they show up with, like, a USB, and if it's a conference room that doesn't have, like, a TV or something, they can't do anything. Wow. They just got to, you know, or they have, like, a tablet with them, and that's it's just like, look at my tablet. So to so, be able to hand To me, that's so weird, because I think you can get so much more out of understanding yes. what your artwork looks like from seeing it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that's just from my own processes, like, because, like, when I do writing or sketching, like, a lot of the things I've done were stuff that I drew by hand mm -hmm. and granted I'm no artist but just to visualize it in my own way and be like here's kind of what I want to do sketch yeah. it out you know bullshit whatever like it just it makes it easier yeah. to, to kind of see it because like there's some it solidifies it better when you do it by your own hand familiarity with print work is really just so different than digital and yeah. it isn't it isn't like you know you can do the same stuff the same way in certain mm -hmm. things but like even understanding how CMYK values are going to print and affect stuff. Right, that's what I was thinking, is like, like colors. Like, yeah. Because screens vary so widely mm -hmm. with how they display hues and different things yeah. that, you know, because my brother, he gets upset about it, you know, Nick. He, he, mm -hmm. Yeah. He, he's like, why does your screen look so different? The colors yeah. look so weird. Because he oh, he's man. used to the Mac screens, right? I have, and they're designed around that stuff. I right? have a Mac for work. Yeah. But my side screen that I use, my shared monitor. Yeah, right is Microsoft. So it's so oh, that, different. Really? Dragging it from side to side. Oh, that's got to be super say, yeah. strange. Uh, I try to keep my applications in that, and I try to keep my graphics on the Mac. Right, you that know, makes sense. You know, all my communication stuff yeah. on Microsoft, and then I keep my yeah. graphics on the Mac. I mean, that makes sense, because, like, so, like, for me, my two monitors that I have here is the left screen looks different than my right screen. A little mm -hmm. bit, like, they're made by different manufacturers. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to, like, keep it work. I do work on one screen, to try and keep it as homogenous mm -hmm. as possible, so I'm not switching back and forth between screens as much. Yeah. Because I'm, now I'm used to it, though, right? So yeah. it doesn't make any difference to me. Yeah, man. It's, so yeah. it's weird. It's so weird. To, like, I don't know. To me, I think the, the future is, is people, like, like who can understand more topics, you know, and, and like, the managerial thing, that mm -hmm. like, working with people more. Yeah. More better. That's right. right? <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm 50% production, 50% graphics yeah. with my job. And... So we have this uh, communication app that puts us in direct content and direct con uh, communication with marketing. <laughs> and what marketing does, like all this app we really use for is essentially they put in the materials for the job. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think about anything. Yeah. And it goes to me and the copy and the copywriter. Oh, wow. And then all we do is say, here, here's draft one, mm -hmm. approved or not. Okay, here's draft two. Okay, approved. And then we send it. There's like no communication. Wow. If we want to say like, hey, you didn't provide us these details. It's or just what a about pipeline, this? basically. We email. We email someone who emails someone who emails someone. And there's a little bit of the telephone, right? Mm -hmm. But this application needs to stay clean. And that's how I learned the graphic design side with marketing. Okay. And then I got into this print production stuff, which is very different. And I'm in direct communication with the person I'm talking to. And through that same application, I've learned, okay, like, I go to them and I say, hey, you didn't provide these details. You want something to go out for mail, but you haven't provided any mailer mm -hmm. stuff. 
Um, all this stuff is like JPEG 72 bit and I oh, need wow. all these print, like I need stuff ready for print yeah. and I'll go back and I'll say that in the application. So I've been doing, um, we hit the season of like print cutoffs yeah. and so I, like my job just turned into full print production, like hundred percent for a little while. Yeah. And a month goes by of like that, didn't touch graphic design for a while and my first graphic from the marketing department was from the head of marketing provided me the materials mm -hmm. and I was like hey so-and-so and just went yeah, like just, the head of marketing I'm starting to like shoot him messages directly in this application that for marketing has to say clean and wow. it was like you know he's the head honcho he's the dude that my dude answers to you know yeah and so it was like it didn't even register for you either you're just like so, oh. <laughs> so my creative director comes back and he was like hey just recall this is that we we have to keep this clean and I like I paused and like this job already I'm like all right this is like above my pay grade to even be here yeah and so that was like really embarrassing and I was like oh my god how could I make this mistake and like I got into this little frantic mode yeah didn't not air justifiably air you know. correction mode yeah um, and before I could even register why I had made that mistake he came back and he was like just bridge that gap he was like I understand that this is how you communicate with ad services but yeah. remember marketing needs to stay clean and it was just so simple right you know and he hasn't been hands-on with any of this like production stuff yeah because he's a manager right yeah. he, he <laughs> hasn't seen manager. any of the communication or how you know and like my manager in-house because he's across the country my manager in-house is like they communicate across this project that i do print production stuff because yeah. it's kind of changing up we're like being innovative with it that's kind of cool and so she'll communicate the innovations we have and he'll learn a little bit here and there mm -hmm. but he's never seen my direct stuff he's not plugged into that right so for him to like take that in a snap instant and be like this is why he's doing this yeah because you're kind of like that hybrid it. employee where you're yeah. like working 50 50 <laughs> exactly that's and interesting i was like super impressed and i was like yeah just that application of understanding like here Instead of this just being like, what the hell is this guy doing? Especially, mm -hmm. he could have just taken you as the new guy who's not paying attention. And exactly. Like... That's how I took it. I <laughs> right, was like, exactly. oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I think it's, to me, the weird thing about that differentiation to someone from the outside is why would why does one department use that software so differently than the other? Because um, my viewpoint as like a systems you know, optimizer is I think it makes more sense that there's less hoop jumping in the sense where you can put comments mm -hmm. and say, we need more more information like you do for the print production side of things, like error correction there. Then it then it then it does, for someone who goes through more emailing and processes and it has to get forwarded and I think for one thing the justification for that is that on the marketing side we use it for all in house. On the production side mm -hmm. we're working with exterior things. Mm. And they're still playing telephone, but it's it starts I in a different way. And so I'm the one that starts a game of telephone instead of, like, me going to someone to start it for me. Kind right, of thing, yeah. You know? Um, I get to be my own leader in that regard. Not leader, yeah. but, like, you know, I, I take a little more action. And right, I have yeah. more say because I've also done it way more. Gotcha. And I'm just like, okay, before we even get started, here's everything that's wrong and why I can't move right. forward. But, yeah. I'm just, that was just a curiosity thing for no, me yeah, because it's, I, I think it's... I just think that's an interesting way of doing it because it's it's it's, like... You know, when you have to deal with so many different systems or screens and you're like, oh, I can't say things here even though I can, mm -hmm. and then take it out and do it in a different window, it, you lose, you know, that crosstalk context. People would be like, wait, what is he talking about here? Where you can just be like, oh, okay, I see exactly what I need to see. It's visual. Here's what I missed mm -hmm. or forgot. Yeah. You just drop it right in and it just kind of, you know, you have a chain of like, I forgot this. I got that. What do I need next? You know, and then you stamp it approved and it just 
goes out and you don't yeah. have to worry about it, think about it. Keeps the shuttle pipeline as organized as possible. Mm -hmm. But that's just that's just how I am. Yeah, <laughs> if I were to do process improvements for things. Absolutely. That sounds like kind of the step back, though, too. That approach is a lot more, you know, there's understanding that there's more to anything. Right. And, like, the idea of the problem-solution breakdown where, like, okay, <laughs> you have this battle and... Who lost the battle? This is not my own idea. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, okay, you have a kingdom, and the kingdom has, like, now ended. Why did it end? Because they lost the battle. Mm -hmm. Well, why did they lose the battle? Because more men died. Why did more men die? Because their horses weren't right. capable of fighting the battle with them, essentially. <laughs> why weren't the horses? Oh, because there weren't enough horseshoes on the horses for them to be <laughs> trotting through stuff. And why is that? Because they didn't have enough nails to put in the horses' hooves. And, then why and like, all of a sudden we lost the kingdom because you didn't have enough nails. Yeah, right. You know, you go, you gotta go all you the way You do five whys is, mm -hmm. is kind of the, yeah. the, the thought experiment there. Mm -hmm. So if you, ask, if you ask why five times, usually you can find the real mm -hmm. solution, a real, real cause to the problem, right? Yeah. Or, because we kind of have something like that where we work, where it's like, you know, we, it's like the where, what, what, why, and how kind mm -hmm. of thing. And it's like, what happened? Why it happened? How do you error correct it for the future? Whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and nine times out of ten, it's usually error. You know, someone doesn't read properly or glosses over effect or we thought it was a retest or something. And so it's, but it really wasn't a test, even though we've like done a test for that customer before. And it's like one little detail was shifted just a little bit. <laughs> you know, usually it's little detaily things that kind of yeah. slip through, right? Um or you yeah. just run an autopilot. <laughs> mm -hmm. You get so used to doing certain things, you're just like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even think about doing that part of it because I'm just like, well, I've done this a hundred times before. Yeah. Stuff like that, you know, attention to detail, I guess, is kind of, or slowing yourself down, because when you kind of get, I think when you're under pressure and you're like really busy, is when things happen. You know, when you're like trying yeah. to rush through things, meet deadlines or whatever. You know. Uh, oh yeah. That's never. I'm never. <laughs> uh, just I'm guilty of that everywhere. I mean, I think most people are though, right? I mean, especially, I think for most people who are students in general, you know, since since mm -hmm. we're still so closely related to that group of people, and it's kind of still fresh in my brain because it's just like the the amount of work you have to do as a student. I don't know. For me, it feels weird because like, as a person who's worked full time, the like if I were just a student, I would go uh, be bored so quick. Because of how much time you're in school, like, versus, like, free time, mm -hmm. it's pretty little. Like, classroom time versus, like, yeah, how much you actually have to do, yeah. right. Um, it, it, like, I see why people wind up having to do other things because you just wind up slacking off <laughs> more yeah. often than not. And I don't know, it's, it's, like, weird for me, too, is because, like, just kind of seeing... Because, like, you, I don't, you didn't do any, like, graphic design work for, like, actual companies before graduating, did you? Other than freelance stuff? Yeah, no, not before... Not big companies, no. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, you've known my, my whole thing is, like, I've worked for this technical company as roughly an engineer-type work for... Since I had my second semester. So I have this super weird viewpoint of, like, work in school kind of thing. Is like, as I've been in school, I've been, like, juxtaposing that with, like, how things are actually done in the field. And it's just... I don't know. It's just such a strange... Um, lens at which to view the world and so therefore I have a hypercritical view of how how schools are run because <laughs> yeah. it loses application for me very quickly and you you know that now because of you've been working in it yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you don't get that until after you're done usually so it's there's usually never this tandem like you get to view the school and you get to view the work mm -hmm. and then I'm just like blend <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I 
I don't yeah. know even know how to articulate it in a, in a good way right now because I'm just kind of off the cuff, but it's weird. I get it's what you're saying, though. Yeah. That's, so, that's definitely something to think about. Yeah. And I, and I think, too, is, you know, I talk about it a lot, is just kind of exposing yourself. Like, you're doing, you know, I, I would say my, my crucible in exposing myself to failure was, was, was working out. Because, like, by that initial attempt, it was like, again, with the, it was almost like the creative thing where I kind of just said, I'm not that kind of person, and it closed the door preemptively. But after I got started and I started realizing, like, oh, wait, there's not really this limitation. It was a self-imposed limitation, mm-hmm. right? And, and then from there, it was like, now it's open doorways into things I never would have expected myself to do just because of exposure and be like, well, I was able to do that. Why can't I do this? You know, and I'm just like, just try. Yeah. <laughs> and that was one thing I didn't expect to realize, like, last time when we were grabbing a beer at Pollyanna, mm-hmm. was, like, I'm at kind of the start of my journey in a yeah. sense. And I, you know, you talked about working out being one of your catalysts for oh, yeah. this whole growth, Absolutely. growth phase. <laughs> and I didn't realize that, like, you've kind of, like, hit a stride here. You're now really applying the things that you started cultivating oh, yeah. in this podcast. You it's know, really you're, weird. <laughs> you're not just, like, seeing what's out there. You're starting, you're inviting oh, yeah. the change, you know, like, through this or many other means in your life. Yeah. And I, so I was just kind of like, oh, wow, that's, like, yeah. you know, it's proof that it does grow. It does yeah. go somewhere, you It kind of takes a life of its own at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, like, the, the being able to do this is as much a self-growth thing and being able to understand other people, but mm-hmm. as much as a way to give back because mm-hmm. I don't just agree with the the format like I don't agree like it's like someone who's listens to something or like they like resonate with a sport or something right and they're like man I just love that one mm-hmm. thing right and they become like a like a coach or something for like a little league right because they just want to give back to that thing and so that's what I kind of view this as for me because like I've grown from podcasts and I agree with like how the format disseminates information and people can learn yeah. from it and so, like, being able to do one for myself and kind of take the people in my life that I think have valuable stories and things and being able to share that, I think, like, having that, to me, is what is fulfilling. Yeah. You know, but it's, like, double fulfilling because, like, in the moment right now, it's, like, this conversation. I'm not worried about what it sounds like. Yeah. You know, but it's, like, at the same time, it's, like, when it goes live, I'm, like, oh, dude, that's, like, a, I get to, like, re-experience it all over again because, like, that's a cool conversation. I hope someone learns something and, like you know, resonates with somebody or whatever, like, yeah. you know, I just think it's such a special thing for me, like, d- just to be able, it's such a different thing, too, because there's not many places you can go on the internet, right, and have, like, an uninterrupted hour-long conversation of people yeah. just <laughs> talking about stuff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and you don't no, need to I be famous that. to have something worth talking about, is the other part. Because most podcasts are all people who are somewhat famous or have made a difference in their, right now. Yeah. Right? You know? And I think what makes this one unique is... I'm also, I also have to say that it depends on the gravity of difference and your own understanding of that gravity. Right. But, yeah. but yeah. what I mean is like a, like a CEO or an athlete or yeah. whatever. Gotcha. You know, someone who's a, accomplished, quote unquote, something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or an author, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless of that, is I, I just still think no matter who you are, there's some there's like hidden gems. This is kind of what I de- define them as because everyone has a story and everyone is something worth talking about. And I think even... What's even more worth is, yeah, sure, we're 20 or whatever, in our 20s, early 20s, and we're at the forefront of our careers, right? But I think it's what you go through in these years that sets you up for future success. Because these things are formative, and it's just compounding on itself, right? 
Cause like, so we're at the ground floor of whatever we're going to turn into. Yeah, no. You know? I love that idea. I don't know if this is true at all. It was just some post I read, but I really liked the idea of mm -hmm. it. But it was like, you know, this idea that like bamboo trees take like 50 or mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. Five years I think they grow really slowly. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, yeah. Before I don't know they if they shoot up, it takes a long time. Yeah. In the ground or something. And so this idea that like a guy's trying to grow a bamboo tree and apparently everyone in his world around him has never seen a bamboo tree exposed yeah. to it. So they're like, ha 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 ha, you're just watering something yeah, and nothing's coming of it and just laughing in their face. And then eventually a sh tree shoots up and everyone's like, oh, we've been proven wrong. Right. But the long, you takes know, long to sprout kind of thing. Yeah. And I think a really funny idea of that is like, I don't know if you've seen the video of the kid that gets pulled up on stage with like kiss makeup on at uh, Foo Fighters show. Yeah, I did have yeah. I love that video. So, it's so freaking cool. I don't know that kid's life, but I have to imagine that that was a pretty cool moment. Yeah. Um, and he was prepared for that moment. Mm -hmm. It, you know, he didn't know it was coming. He right. didn't know Dave Grohl was going to be like, get on up here and yeah. play some riffs. Um, but you know, he had played guitar. He was probably in a band, I would guess, from his skills, mm -hmm. and like just been, been around music. And then that allotted him the ability to pursue that moment and have that. Right. You know, being prepared. And you just never know what life's gonna throw at you. Right. You know, and you have like, I don't know if you've ever seen. I think it's Dan in real life or Jeff who lives at home. Jeff who lives at home. But it's this idea, this whole movie, this guy going through a massive existential crisis, and he's okay. kind of perceptively dopey. Right. And in the end, the whole movie, he's like, oh, the universe speaks to you, right place, right time. Right. And he winds up saving, sorry to ruin the movie, but uh, he winds up saving someone's life in the end. And like, That's you awesome. know, that blip in a 50 to 70 year lifespan, yeah. that blip of a moment might not be, <laughs> you know, enough. And then, but yeah. that also the idea, I don't know, I've been like huge into like Buddhism, not necessarily yeah. practicing, but reading up on it and stuff. Yeah. And, like, you know, then you have that idea of, like, purpose, and then you have the balance of idealism and negativity, mm -hmm. and then just being present. Yeah. Just well, that's, not... I mean, that's what this podcast is all about, too, mm -hmm. for me, yeah. is, is enjoying yeah. being present. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, in this, in this you know, it's been a over just over an hour for us, yeah. hour and a half now. But, you know, I'm not, I, I don't ever tell anyone not to look at their phone or they can't text or anything, mm -hmm. but most of the time... Actually, almost all the time, no one's ever really yeah. looked at their phone. And I mean, I didn't even know it was an hour and a half. I yeah, thought no. it was only like an hour, right? I forgot <laughs> I was like supposed to go grab burgers after this, and I was like, oh, wait, huh. So, <laughs> right, yeah. that, that's what I mean. That's so why we, eventually, we, yeah. yeah. We can wrap this up in a, in a minute here. But like, yeah, to, yeah. Me, to me, like I, I completely understand that. And it's just like being, being able to balance life is one of my goals. And <clears throat> just being present with people, right? Mm -hmm. and building those connections and yeah. being able to be like, yeah, you know, making new friendships. Because I think at this point in our lives, too, it's really hard to make friends. Mm -hmm. Like, we have a pretty decent friend group, right? But yeah. but adding new people into that friend group is kind of hard <laughs> because of just where we're at with everything. And But outside of that, I think it's, you know, the, what, what do they say? Being successful is equal parts preparation and luck, mm -hmm. right? It's, 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 <laughs> I'm going to combat you on the idea of you not succeeded till you die, but yeah. Right. Oh yeah. You never stop succeeding. Well, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. no, there's never a pinnacle where you stop yeah. growing or succeeding or mm -hmm. trying to be successful, right? Yeah. Because it's just ever cascading upward. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess that's just based on the idea that you would ever stop. Like you've know, right. you've hit that wall of like, no, oh, I succeeded, I'm, so I can I mean, stop preparing. I mean, that's what the whole this whole thing is about, though, too, right? It's not yeah. about. Because you can never stop feeding your curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying, yeah. you know? And, and I think that's kind of... This conversation is one of the like most encompassing curiosity conversations I think we've had on the show in its own right. Interesting. 
because we just kind of talked about so much different stuff. We did, like yeah. How, it's definitely some fun tangents. Like your own, <laughs> your own viewpoints on on how you yeah. operated and changed your own worldview. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I kind of lied a little bit too earlier when I was like, oh, I'm terrible at reading. Recently, I've been reading a lot. Um, oh, really? Started with books on Buddhism, and then I just went to like any, a really any, cool. Any favorites or recommendations you would give to people? Because um, I love books. It depends, like because I come from like a little bit of a. A background in punk rock. Mm-hmm. I found this book in a bookstore one time, first time I had visited my friend in the city, and it was called Sit Down and Shut Up. And it's essentially like a book on Buddhism from a punk rocker's point of view. That's cool. Um, I found this book from like the 80s about a women's conference, and it's got a lot of really insightful stuff. Some book, I've like read a few books on like physics in the universe. Mm-hmm. That one's pretty interesting. It's uh, like Zen and the Ard- Zen and astrophysics or something, or quantum physics? No, this Mike, one is Mike like, read a book on that one. No. <laughs> There's also this book called, uh, there's this book I really want to go back and finish. I was, like, poking around the Morton Arboretum, and, like, it just stood oh, out Oh, that's to cool. Me. <laughs> yeah, they have a library there that's really nice. Oh, I didn't know that. That's mm. neat. It's, it's pretty cool. It's got, like, a little bit of an old-school feel to it. And there's this book called Life, the Unfinished Experiment. I told, that just came up with somebody. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was you. Maybe. It was, might have been a Paul Yang. You might have brought it up. Maybe, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, <not> like, <laughs> it's definitely, I think it's a little older, but it was just, like, there's so many cool ideas that came from it. And, um, I, I just love the idea of life. Yeah. The, I mean, I, you, I, yeah. I told you this, I view my life, my own, my own life as an experiment at this mm-hmm. point, you know, what I put in my body and how I, you know, how I do yeah. my, how I sleep and how I, you know, enter each day and exit each mm-hmm. day is, is, is a way to constantly improve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but yeah, I think, can I like. Yeah, effectively cap with like a few things. Yeah, go ahead. Books I've read though yeah, that seriously. have really impacted Absolutely. me. Absolutely, and then we can just end it at that. Um, so back to that life, the unfinished experiment. Experiment. I only read the intro, and it was like wow, wow. wow. It was a lot. <laughs> it was a really cool amount of stuff to take in, and I picked it up and kept reading because of the amount of like it's it's that time of year where seasonal depression really kicks in, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people I know with mental health issues, and so I was kind of like I, I took quite a few notes from it, and it was just kind of like this is stuff that I might be able to like you know tell people in mm-hmm. certain moments. Uh, but one of the really one of the more interesting things I had read from that was this idea that there's um, the sect of the Jewish faith, where, not to be like graphic in any sense, but like um, all of the seed that a man might spill, right? Um, those will go on to be boys that technically exist in some spiritual right, and when huh. a man dies, he has to take a long walk amongst all the children that never got to live, and so those children in a sense, are, uh, again, just paraphrasing. Metaphorically. Yeah. (laughs) Those children are uh, kind of watching. And so the idea is that in that sect of faith that parents shouldn't inhibit their children in any way or get to kind of house, like, or, like, you know, impose their own ideals onto that child and say, this is how you're going to live your life. This is the dream I have for you. And, I mean, every parent does. They have a lot of hope for their children. But, you know, when it's like, I've already defined your life before even out of the womb, they don't see that as right because you have the one child that got to make it versus all these other millions of children that never got to be born. And so they're all washing him, and they're already kind of wishing bad on Mm -hmm. them, essentially. Like, you're the one that got to be born, or maybe not even wishing bad, but, like, they didn't didn't even get to live. And the one that got to live, why should they be inhibited, you know? Right. And it's celebrating just the ability to really live life in your own right. And I really appreciated that. Wow. Um, It was really cool, uh, just a different way to think about, you know, how we live our lives and what we owe to people. But It's very cool. Yeah. (laughs) um, Another thing was from this book on... um, uh, knowledgeable women 
it was, I can't remember the full title. I wish I could, like, give a citation or something. Yeah, you but can always text me to it. Yeah. And I can uh, link it in the description of everything. And so, essentially, like, a few things I really picked up from it was the idea that, like, you have, it's a conference. So you have women that um, have a higher social reputation than certain other people in the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the women is saying, I don't think that it's fair that a lot of people come up to me and say, like, oh, I wish I could live your life. Mm -hmm. Because when you invite yourself into that idea, you're asking, like, you only see people's success. And yeah. this is back in the 80s before social media even existed. You're still only in literature or whatever seeing people's successes. Mm -hmm. And we especially do that now on a daily basis with social media. But she effectively comes out and says, like, when you wish for someone else's life, you're also wishing for their struggles. And when you do that, you're almost demeaning their struggles, you know? Saying, like, oh, I would like that as well. That's something that I would enjoy. And um, I don't know, as someone who appreciates adversity and not demeaning that and watching people grow from it, I really appreciate that idea of, like, you know, you just don't know what someone else's life is really like, right. depending on how they advertise I mean, themselves the whole, or whatever your perception is. It's like is. the whole point of this podcast is so we can see everything, warts yeah. and all. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, it's not to make anyone look bad, but it's just we all grow from those things, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and especially as someone with uh, a, a, an okay past with anxiety, um, I found another two things from that same book was the idea that, like, when you worry about something, you're going to put yourself through it twice. Mm -hmm. if it does happen. Even if it does happen, you right. know? Like, if you're like, oh, this is going to have X outcome. Yeah. And you don't know that. No. But if it does happen, even then, you, you're going to put yourself through it twice. Yeah, because then you're Why like, oh, of course be... I knew it was going to happen, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? Um, wow. and there's just no reason to expend that energy and waste that time. Be yeah. present, you know? Another thing is, too, the idea, again, don't put yourself through it twice with defeat. When something goes wrong... Don't let that stop you from doing anything else or moving forward. Don't let that define your future actions. Yeah. You've already been defeated once. Don't defeat yourself. Yeah. You know? And I really appreciated that. And my final, um, <laughs> no more important than anything else, but um, the thing I drew from this book on Buddhism is the idea of firewood versus ash. Oh, yeah, you um, definitely t told me about this one. Yeah, probably I, I think the best application might just be like a relationship is the easiest way to apply it, but there's many other ways. But the idea that like firewood is firewood and ash is ash. Mm -hmm. um, ash comes from firewood. That's their relationship. But at no point should firewood ever be concerned that it will become ash. Mm -hmm. And at no point should ash ever be obsessed with the idea that it once was firewood. And the idea, like, for instance, application of if you're in a relationship, you should never focus on down the line that you guys might break up. Yeah. Just the be if, in the moment. The be if with statement. that person. <laughs> yeah, you know? There's always going to be that if, and it's not worth obsessing over. And then once you break up with someone, there's no point in just dwelling in the past like, oh, I was happy with this person or this or that. You know, just... You're now Ash. Ash is a terrible metaphor for, like, post-breakup. You have to yeah, be burned and all that it's kind of It's kind of depressing, but... but I mean, then, it makes sense, though, right? To apply to a really easy understanding, you know? Yeah. It's like, once you're Ash, that's you. It doesn't necessarily... Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you have a past. Don't demean that. But don't... That doesn't define you. It doesn't yeah. define you that at one point you were. But, I mean, it's... <clears throat> I actually heard uh, from several podcasts, it's very similar to that idea, but sometimes it's like, you need to make space to, to grow... You know, and that's the same idea of being, you know, burning things down, right? You need to clear out old things to allow yourself to have new growth. Yeah. Right? Do you need Definitely. to let go of old ideas or old relationships or whatever it is mm -hmm. that you need to make space for? Whatever yeah. you decide that you you shouldn't be holding on to anymore. Yeah. One right? of my favorite memes. <laughs> one of my favorite memes is like a little Dr. Seuss adaptation that's like all the things you'll have to unlearn to become a halfway decent person. Yeah. You know, for real. That's a super Well, true. I mean, that, that's another, like, there's a really cool, like, saying. It's, it's like, uh, learn, unlearn, and relearn. 
is, is yeah. like a really cool new phrasing, right? For for I think what are going to be the new successful people mm-hmm. because you're gonna learn something. And then you're going to be like, oh, shit, that's outdated and doesn't work anymore. So you have to <laughs> unlearn it. And now you get to relearn something new. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, why not? You know? What do you have to lose? Because mm-hmm. you learned it once before. It doesn't mean you can't learn it again. That's all. Oh, that's huge. That's a big thing I've realized this year is starting to reassess a lot of stuff that I found <laughs> inherent. Yeah. One of my biggest thing is I, I love people that challenge the inherent because I oh, don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and that really ties back into the relationships in my life. And this mm-hmm. year... You know, you have people in your life for decades and you just mm-hmm. don't think about it. And then you start to kind of reassess and it can either impress you a lot or right. it might, you know, bring up some yeah. stuff that you would never really realized. And that's really redefined a lot of my relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things. <clears throat> you you got to constantly be looking at it, right? Mm-hmm. And assessing where you're at in your own life and kind of where you want to be. And it's not about min-maxing. It's just your own personal compass, yeah. you know? And wherever it goes. And I know you got to get out of here, and we could definitely talk for probably another three hours about <laughs> these things. There's some topics. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool, man. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. There's always a round two whenever you want to. Yeah, I'm down. Cool. Well, everyone, till next time with the podcast. Peace out. Bitch. I'll leave that in there. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.